Welcome back to the Movie Babble Podcast. I'm here uh, hosting today. It's me, Brennan, and I got Nick on. How's it going, Nick? Uh, it's going. I'm alive, so that's something, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's all that counts, really. Um, this week, we have uh, not too much in terms of movie news. It was uh, more of a quieter week in terms of just uh, actual news content that came out for, for movies. However, we do have some theater news we're going to touch on. Then, obviously, as we promised last week, we're going to get into... Uh, some spoiler territory with the five bloods uh spike lee's newest netflix original film um so just kind of starting from the top here we have a quick story to jump into and that is that amc has uh, pledged that they're going to be opening their theaters in july they're gonna they're committed to that um we know that obviously it's been a while since uh they were last open now it's it's nearly four months running um things aren't looking great from a business standpoint, obviously, because, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's rough. They've talked about a lot of, uh, bankruptcy possibilities and uh, there have been some issues and, uh, um, it, it's been a struggle for them. So they really want to get back open in July to try to salvage things. But, uh, as, as we're seeing now, some States are starting to see definite, uh, spikes in cases. Uh, what's your take here for this story? Yeah, I think, a lot of what's going on with this is kind of at the root of like a lot of like businesses issues where it's like they can't really survive if they stay closed, but also like what are like the ethical dilemmas of opening? Um, I, yeah, I think that's just really hairy and I just don't have an answer for this because it's really interesting re- just reading through a lot of the press releases where AMC kind of they brought on a public health expert from Harvard to kind of go through this plan with them. Um, but even still, like they have they have plans in place where they're going to start with about 30% of capacity in, in theaters. And then they're going to slowly expand that over time. And by hopefully by Thanksgiving, everything will be at full capacity, but they don't explain kind of where, like they say that about 400 to 450 of theaters will be open uh, at the start of July, but they don't really explain where, which I find really interesting. And they kind of like throw that under the rug and all this. Cause it, it, se- it still seems like, they don't quite know exactly where they're going to open. Like you think it would make a lot of sense for them to be like, Oh, we're going to open these theaters in LA. So get ready or whatever, they, whatever they plan to do that. But it seems like they don't really have quite an, a good idea of where they're opening things. And I'm sure they're still looking at some of the, like the cases and just two week, just breakouts of new cases and things like that to kind of, before they can kind of really get like hunger down on like which they want to open. But it seems like they're kind of like, we're going to open at this point. They're saying we're going to open, but we don't quite have all of everything in place. So um, it's interesting. It's it's and we've been kind of following tenant for weeks now. I think it's also just worthy to just look at what AMC plans to do for the next couple of weeks. Yeah. So they're, they're talking about, as you said, opening 450 of the locations. I'd probably guess that a lot of those locations are going to be in States that aren't obviously as hard hit by coronavirus. And, um, states that are less populated um, that's probably what they'll do however i feel like so, so they're committing to that by july 15 however tenant on july 31 it seems like it seems like their goal might be to open up uh, 450 on july 15 and then uh, in a couple of weeks when tenant comes out expand it to hopefully get all their theaters open i feel like that's um i feel like that is is what the plan is there are over 600 amc theaters in the united states so 450 is a very sizable chunk of them i bet they'll just be keeping uh the rest kind of out of big city centers uh, until tenant yeah i think so too and i was thinking about it i was like there's probably some bad 
financial ramifications of that, maybe not like opening locations in those cities. But if you're going to keep the 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 capacity down to thirty percent, really, it doesn't matter where you have them, right? And just, you're gonna, probably going to get that money. Sadly, like wherever you go, you're probably going to have people interested in coming back to the theaters. And I think that's something that I'll have to rack with too, because I live in DC, and I'm sure. Um, a theater will be open there and I don't really know if I really want to go to a theater um, I do I am interested in seeing Mulan and Tenet and those things are appeal to me but I like I don't feel safe going back to a theater yet. I don't know how you feel but I I think there's a lot left that we have to sift through before I feel safe going back to one um, yeah personally for me I think if 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 theaters were to open here I know just kind of looking at it on from Canada's uh, point of view, uh, we have a pretty decent handle right now on the virus. It's, it's, it's definitely looking better. Things are starting to open up nationwide and even the uh, province or state where I live is uh, the most populated in the country. And we are now moving almost towards fully opening. That's not happening yet. There are several weeks until that, but businesses are starting to open up again. Uh, movie theaters are not opening here. However, in some other areas of the country, movie theaters are set to open at the end of June. So things are looking better here too, but I would expect, especially just, I live decently close to Toronto, which is a very sizable city, the biggest in the country. Um, theaters probably won't be opening in my area at the end of June or early July. It'd probably be for tenant on July 31st. So it'd be a little while. And for me personally, I just, you know what, I'd go to the theater with a, a mask, a comfortable uh, cloth mask. Uh, I'd make sure, obviously, there, there's no one beside me or the person or group I'm with. Um, hopefully, that's what they do. I think they'll probably space out people um, and just don't go to concessions. I think that's what I'd be starting with for the first little while. Yeah, maybe I have just jump in the shower <laughs> after I go see the movie just to get rid of any germs that may have gone on me as I watch the watch Christopher Nolan's latest mindfuck. I don't really know. Um, <laughs> It's tough, and I think it's it's definitely something that we're all gonna have to weigh here because it's I don't I wouldn't say it's like a game of chicken between th- distributors and theater chains, but there is some kind of posturing going on here with Warner Brothers and Disney saying, "Oh, we're we're staying pat with these dates on July twenty fourth and thirty first for Milan and Tenant respectively," um, and then so it kind of forces theaters to be like, "Well, we kind of have to put something together if these movies are focused on coming out then." So. There's kind of like this really strong back and forth here that I don't quite know how I feel about because it feels like all of this is still slightly premature to me. But um, it's it's definitely really interesting. I think in a lot of, a lot of other industries are seeing this as well because it's that that back and forth pull of like, hey, like we probably do need to open, but I think it, is it good enough or are we all in good enough standing to do that? And it's it's all very hairy and quite honestly, I don't know if I have a good answer to it, but. I guess it's just a matter of just listening to important health professionals and getting their input. And if they say it's safe, then why not? But I don't know. I think there's still a lot left here um, for me to decide whether or not I would go to a theater. Um, I might even, it might even be something where I make a choice in like the days leading up to the movie. Uh, Who knows? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting for sure. Um, But uh, that's, that's a big story. So we're going to keep an eye on that. And now let's move into the Netflix top 10 as we have been um, real quick. So we're going to go through one to 10 here. 365 days is holding on at number one. That's also number one here in Canada. I mean, it's just weird that so many people are watching this. Um, I, I know you're, planning on watching it soon i can't wait to talk about, <laughs> talk about it <laughs> um uh progressing from there though 
Lost Bullet uh, at two, Feel the Beat at three, uh, Magnetic at four, The Nut Job at five, Defy Floods is at six. It was uh, number one last week, and we're going to touch on that in depth after uh, we run through the top ten here. Uh, Wasp Network, the new film, is at number seven, The Darkness at eight, Baby Mama nine, and then Into the Spider-Verse at ten. Um, that's a solid animated movie, better than some of the other ones we've seen in the top ten. Yeah, no doubt. Shout out to Into the Spider-Verse. Just an incredible, incredible movie. And probably something you should be watching instead of The Nut Job, which is just that, <laughs> that title is still hilarious to me. How many how many years after that movie came out? It's just so funny. Yeah, it's, uh, it's <laughs> quite the title. It's uh, not what you want, honestly. <laughs> no. So now let's jump back into it. So to Five Bloods, I watched it last week. You now watched it uh, midweek. Let's talk about it. What did you uh, what did you think about it? I I love this movie. Um, flaws and all, I think this movie... First, let me get just get the flaws out of the way because um, they're kind of easy to touch on. I, I think this movie has four screenwriters and it was written by uh, two guys, Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo, like years before. And then Spike Lee and Kevin Wilmot came in and wrote it later, um, rewrote it to include all, all black cast and whatnot. And you can... I feel like you can kind of tell that it's a mishmash of four different ideas because it changes uh, tone and genre pretty quickly. And um, I, I don't think that all that quite worked for me, but other than that, I, I really love this movie and I think it's filled with just incredible moments. And I'm sure we'll get more into Del, Del, Delroy Lindo's performance in a second here, but uh, just everything that he is doing is incredible in this movie and Jonathan majors too. Um, just the entire cast. I was kind of blown away about this movie in certain scenes. Yeah, um, this is a movie that I definitely want to rewatch in the coming weeks or potentially months as the year uh, goes on. But uh, I guess you can agree. I mean, it's there are four screenwriters. You can you can tell. And as you said, it was it was written in 2013 and then rewritten. Um, uh, one of the writers though, that came on, Kevin Wilmot, uh, that came on to rewrite it with Spike. He was also the uh, person who uh, helped Spike Lee write Black Klansman, so that's interesting. Um, I, I dug this film a lot. I really did. It's it's my favorite of the year up to this point, and uh, you're right. There are just so many great moments in there, and and what do you think of the usage of uh, the aspect ratios and kind of the, the changing around of them throughout the film? I loved it. I thought it was really cool, and I think it's... it's there's been there's reports with Spike Lee um, talking about how he really struggled with Netflix to able to use 16 millimeter on all the flashback scenes which i thought was really interesting considering like sometimes how like just deep the pop pocketbooks of netflix looks at times where that's like a sticking point i thought that was a little weird um but yeah i thought it was really really cool um and there's that one scene where they they're flying in um into the jungle side with in helicopter and it starts as like the really tiny bar and it ex expands up to i think like imax um yeah it's just really, really cool. That's something that would have been pretty incredible to see in a theater. Um, it's kind of funny whenever I see one of these like big time Netflix movies where it's like, uh, this would have been so cool to see in a theater. No, that's, I think that was one of the moments there where that would have been really neat. Um, but like you said, I think it's kind of cool that we have a Spike Lee movie that we can just like, you can watch it and you're like, all right, I want to watch that again. And you can just immediately, which I think is really cool. But, um, I, I love everything he did with the aspect ratios. I, th I thought it was really an interesting choice. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I, I I dug it as well. I think it it really made the it, it added a certain layer to the film that I think if if he just chose to kind of keep it um, 
keep it standard, I, I think it would be definitely missing in that area. Maybe you wouldn't notice that it's missing something, but it definitely adds a very sentimental touch. And you're right, that one scene, um, when it does expand up to what seems to be IMAX, it's very crisp, but uh, it, it opens up because it, it starts with a small bar and it's kind of like just directly in the sunlight, if I'm not mistaken. Um, like you have this, this, this evening sun kind of aiming in on you um, with the helicopter. And then it expands out to uh, the, the full IMAX, as you said, that was just a, a beautiful shot. Um, but yeah, I, I, I loved what he did with that. I think, I think this movie has a real shot to uh, potentially be a player in uh, cinematography and editing categories. Yeah, no doubt. And just, I think touching just more on the technical stuff of this, I, some, I don't love sometimes it's interesting because I might talk about another movie later where I think this really works, but I don't, sometimes I don't love when uh, movies bring in photos. Um, I think just like there's, I guess just for quick background, there's ton of, there's a ton of uh, photos and videos of people like Muhammad Ali, like the movie starts with Muhammad Ali talking and ends with Martin Luther King. Um, and there's just so much archival footage throughout this movie, just like carnage on both the American and Vietnam side, which I thought was handled very well. But um, I think along with those aspect ratio changes, I it, it I think it works really well um, using all of those images because I think it it would have been it would have slightly taken me out of it, you know, if you're looking at this beautiful widescreen and all of a sudden it just kind of hunches down to the photos. Um, but I think he works really nicely and just and with aspect ratio and fitting all that into each other. Um, and I really love the that technical choice of when they're showing the the Vietnam scenes with Chadwick Boseman's character, like all, all the actors are the same people. <laughs> there's no, there, there's no de-aging. There's no recasting. I thought that was such an interesting choice because this entire movie is really just about memory and kind of the horrors of war just staying with you for like your entire life. And I thought that was such a cool choice to have all of the actors playing themselves. Um, I think the first scene I was like, the first thing you see that maybe was a little goofy to me. I was like, wait, are these, aren't these people like a little too old to, to be soldiers? Like it was like, I was, all that stuff was racking around in my brain. But I think as you sit with it a little more and you have that picture at the end where you see all of them as, as young guys and you see them for what they actually looked like. Um, I think all that works really, really well in, in retrospect. And I think that is something that I would like to revisit there because at, at first you're like, eh, is this working? Is this a little goofy? Is this silly watching Isaiah Willock Jr. run around <laughs> next to Chadwick Boseman in war? But um, I think on a rewatch that would work a lot better for me. Um, yeah, I, I like this that choice. I think um, personally when, when flashbacks, uh, when, when there are flashbacks in a film, um, especially in the nature of, of this uh, type of movie and and just with how everything played out i think it was actually smart to to go to go with this uh, route because um uh it, it's kind of like how you remember yourself i think when a lot of people look back it, it'd be hard to look back on a memory and, and picture yourself as young i think you probably would have that image of you and uh, people that you're with currently um kind of, of, of as, as you are now and i like how Obviously, they go back uh, in the flashbacks, and they are their current age, right? They're, it's the same actors, but Chadwick Boseman, I mean, he's still young because he, his character, and as I said, spoiler talk, he, he never got to, uh, um, like, he, he died there, right? So he never got to age, so they, they kind of still picture him in that light. It, it, it's just an interesting touch and a very, very uh, uh, good one. Yeah, and it's really interesting just going on with that point, too, where um, it's it is, it creates this really interesting contrast where, yeah, Chadwick Boseman's character, because unfortunately 
Del Roy Lindo's character accidentally shot him when uh, a Vietnamese um, soldier was coming in from behind them there. Uh, but he's he's like he's frozen in time, and they he takes on this very angelic perspective. Like almost, there's a lot of Jesus imagery going on with the Chadwick Boseman character. Um, but I thought that was really interesting too, and that plays also with that idea of memory and what you remember and how you just take hold of things that happen to you. Where it's they look at him as like this just almost like this angel that didn't have the chance to live. And I think the, that really works nicely with a lot of what Delroy Lindo's character is struggling with. Cause he just like, he just always sees this, just basically this beautiful man that just was robbed of living. And it's, it's so tragic and it's almost tearing me up thinking about it. Cause there's just so much power and all of that. And a lot of what Spike Lee is doing there. It's just, it's so incredible. Um, yeah. And just kind of want to expand on that. How did you feel whenever you found out that, he was the one who actually actually killed him. Um, I I was wrecked, uh, especially because that's coming after uh, just all of these really just just brutal, not even brutal, just they're just so like they just take you back. All the talks Delroy Lindo has directly to camera, where he's just proselytizing, just all of like what he basically what he stands for, and how basically how his mind has just been warped through his entire life. And there's a lot of great. St- imagery there too where it's like even though Delroy Lindo is has been able to, his character has been able to live like he's really he's kind of just like Chadwick Boseman's character where he really hasn't lived because he's just so caught up in the horrors of what happened in Vietnam it's 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 so uh it's I love it I love it so much yeah and uh, I mean it's, it's two and a half hours long obviously and I think it was a a, a proper length I I mean, I guess it could have been slightly shorter, but I, I personally, I'm a fan of a, a, a long movies. Um, uh, I think there's a certain range around the 215 when I'm like, you know what, commit to going uh, two or under, or just go to 30 plus. Uh, but I, I enjoy a movie that's a little over two and a half hours. I think it's it's nice to um, meditate with that film and kind of sit with that movie as it as it progresses. And I think that worked with this movie. Um, also, the movie's a lot more. Um, I mean, obviously, it's it's entertaining through and through, but I think it's a lot more kind of shootout gunfight entertaining than I expected it was going to be. Yeah, it's it's also really interesting there because Spike has talked a lot about how Netflix was basically the last studio to to hear the pitch for this movie, and if Netflix said no, that this that the Five Bloods wouldn't have been made, which is kind of crazy because yeah, like there's a lot of gunplay in this movie. Like it's exciting. It's not like some kind of heady movie that I seem to talk about a lot on this podcast where people just kind of stare into the middle distance and think <laughs> about, think about life and all of their fears, but they're not saying anything. And it's like the kind of thing that some people just think is nauseating, but this movie is not that at all. It's really exciting. Um, and yeah, like all the long drawn out, uh, gun, gunfights. And I, I don't know about you, but the, the whole, the whole landmine scene where, oh. uh, it's just oh my gosh like it is that is one of the most riveting things i will probably see in a movie this year like it is so so good and th- this movie's just full of that stuff i i think that's spike i think is one of those one of these great directors who he can just fill his movies with meaning and just like i guess like what people would call like deep or like something that like something really heady like all these issues about race relations throughout time and how vietnam was just a terrible time for that but he can also just make these incredibly gripping scenes that i think even if you're not like super into film you can latch on to and really understand and take a lot away from so i yeah like he 
he is directing the hell out of this movie. And I'd be, I mean, there's so much to, there's so much to come about with how the, the Oscars will end up and what's going to happen there. But like, if he's not in the best director race after this movie, like, I don't really know what the Oscars are for. And the same thing with like Delroy Linda, like if he's not nominated, like what are we doing here? Oh my God. Um, yeah, before we jump into Delroy and just talking about potentially some awards potential, uh, oh my, that that rope scene, the the landmine scene. I mean, that is like I remember a hundred percent. I remember um, just sitting there and and the moment uh, there's some resolve there and they get uh, um, Jonathan Major's character off the uh, landmine safely. I, I I felt like literal weights lifted off my shoulder. Oh my gosh, I let out the biggest like sigh of relief when that happened like i was pretty sure i was holding my breath throughout the entire time and then you have like you have all these people working together and Orlando like runs over to him and he's like talking so like deeply like staring right into his eyes and like telling him it's gonna be okay and oh my gosh like it is the most gripping thing and then yeah you ha- oh my gosh like it's it almost leaves you speechless a little bit just that kind of thing where it the movie I thought was really good the fir- the first half and that just kind of that scene just hits you like a huge just like a, just a punch across the face <laughs> you're like oh my gosh like what is happening mm-hmm. uh, yeah it's it, oh my gosh I it's so good it's I, right now it's definitely my favorite scene of the year and I don't really know if anything will top that at this uh, if anything else if any other movies come out that is <laughs> yeah um no that, that that was great this movie has a lot in it too like as you said there there's it, it's action packed it's it's emotional there's a lot of uh, political um commentary that kind of touches on modern day uh, a lot it's a lot more um relevant than I than they probably thought it was going to be <laughs> um but also touches on a great commentary with with war and stuff like that. I think there's just so much in here to enjoy. It's also funny, even just the camaraderie between uh, the four men whenever they first meet up and you kind of are with them before they kind of embark on their journey for like the first 15 minutes or so. Like there's a lot of fun, entertaining, just just enjoyable moments in there that it's just kind of uh, kind of like just just watching, obviously, as it is for uh, four brothers kind of reuniting. Yeah. Talk about a movie that's relevant. And um, I don't really... Like I feel like every single movie that has some kind of like social idea in it, like there's like fifty thousand headlines where someone's like, "This is the movie we need right now," and it's most of the time I'm like, "Ah, oh, okay." Like you're talking about a Fast and the Furious movie. Like let's let's relax a little. <laughs> let's relax a little bit. Um, but like I feel like this is like the one example where it's like like yes, like <laughs> I mean we talk about the end of this movie where Del Rolando just he gives all of his money away to the Black Lives Matter movement, which like yeah like <laughs> you can't read the news for like five seconds and not read something about the black lives matter movement and all the protests that are happening around the country um yeah it's just incredible and one thing i will appreciate about this movie is um i was a little nervous when uh, del Lindo shows up with the maga hat on um not because it's like oh like it's like some kind of like scary thing but it's just like i like I get a little worried where it's like, Hey, like, look how relevant this is. Right. Like we're wearing, we're wearing the hat and it's like, Oh yeah. no. But, um, I, I should have had more, like I should, I should have respected this movie more. Cause just Spike Lee just knows how to do that stuff. So great. And that movie, <laughs> the hat has a little journey of its own throughout the movie and ends up with Jean Renault at the end. It's kind of fun. Um, but I, I, I appreciate Spike Lee and his social commentary. Like, I feel like there's like a thing in movies now where, like they're all, they're all like all these political commentaries are clearly like aimed at Trump, but they're not 
saying his name, like they'll say the president or it'll be something like weirdly veiled. And then like Spike Lee's like, no, I'm going to have a clip from one of his rallies in my movies in my movie. Just like just deal with it. Like I'm, this is what I'm discussing. And I, I just really appreciate that because I feel like he's one of like the few filmmakers who could get away with that because he's so skilled and has so much other meaning behind just showing that that I think it just works so tremendously. Yeah, definitely. And just moving away from that uh, just actual content in the film, I think obviously we're both in agreement, as is pretty much everyone who's seen this. Delroy Lindo is fantastic in this movie. Does he have, um, do you think he has, uh, like, like are they going to go supporting or um, are they going to go a lead for him? That's what I was wondering throughout this movie, because I think there's definitely some, like, like some ballot fraud stuff where, like, I guess you, you can say he's probably the main character of this movie, right? But, like, you could definitely, like, figure out a way, like, to put him in supporting and just, like, to stack the category so much where it's like, oh, yeah, like, we have to give him the award because <laughs> he's because he's just doing so much more than someone who's in another movie for, like, 10 minutes and is also nominated. But um, I don't really care if that happens because I just kind of want him to be recognized because he's such a great actor. and He was in so many movies throughout, like, the 90s and everything, and he's just been like great for so long. And he's one of those guys where it's like, we probably should have recognized him earlier, but I, I like it. I like this movie. Cause it's like, it's not like, um, any like Pacino winning for son of a woman where it's like such a, like a big time, uh, career, like achievement award. It's like, yeah, we probably should have given you something by now, but you also really deserve it for this movie. Oh my gosh. Like he is insane. Like they're, it's 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 powerful. It's power watching him talk, uh, uh, and, and just some of even the fourth wall breaking that that goes on near uh, the end of the film with him is 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 pretty incredible too. But uh, I just love everything uh, about his performance. It's just fantastic from uh, start to end. Yeah, I it's so like I feel like I'm getting bad, really bad at watching movies at home now. Like I, even if I really like a movie, like I'm gonna pull my phone out just because I'm a terrible human who's addicted to his phone. But like like every time he's talking, you're like, oh my gosh, like I can't look away. This is so so good. And every like literally everything he says is moving and powerful and like just he has like just there's so much pain in there too. And um, I like him and Jonathan Majors together. I. What I just thought were just some of the best best stuff I've seen in a movie in quite some time because I've, I've kind of been hot on Jonathan Majors ever since he stole the show with uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which is probably my favorite performance of last year, if not the best male performance, because maybe something um, – maybe Elizabeth Moss in her spell has something to say about that, but – he, like he is just so freaking incredible in that movie and just watching him here just and him going toe to toe, toe with Delroy Lindo is just like it just like throws you back on your ass you know it's just like oh my gosh like I can't like this is just too much like I can't deal with all how much great stuff is going on here you know no exactly fantastic um yeah, all around. I mean, this this movie's got a lot of great stuff in it. And I'll definitely, uh, I'm trying to recommend it to friends too. Just get them get them to watch it because it is obviously socially relevant. At the same time, very, very entertaining. Um, but I think we're pretty content on that now. We'll see what Colin has to say about the movie next week whenever he uh, joins us again. Because um, I know he's a big fan. He was a big fan of Black Klansman when it came out a couple of years ago. So I'm sure he'll he'll dig uh, this as well. Yeah, absolutely. Spike is Spike is just great. He just keeps making great movies that I really appreciate him. And I'm definitely going to 
take a fill a few holes in my film watching career that I, that come from him because he's just made a lot of great stuff and he deserves to we just de- he deserves to have us just continually go back to a lot of his films yeah and i mean he's 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 back for sure after those two he he's certainly back um moving on a little bit though from that uh what's what's something you've been you've been watching recently I guess we'll keep the train rolling with Spike Lee here because I watched Inside Man for the first time. I had never seen it. Um, just terrific, fun, super watchable thriller. Uh, yeah, I is kind of one of those movies that I knew was good, but luckily I didn't really know anything about it at all whatsoever. I knew did I knew Denzel was in. It, I knew Clive Owen was in it. A really good cast: Jodie Foster and Christopher Plummer in there too, and Willem Dafoe, and um, just just really great stuff. And you sit down and watch it, and it just and also kind of in the same way the five bloods does, but this is kind of a more of the Hollywood version of spike where it just kind of hits you in the face where we start immediately with the bank heist and go from there. Um, it's just really terrific, really, really fun. I love everything that this movie is doing. It's it a little funky towards the end with, I think motivations. It's, it's when you start to pull up the threads a little bit, you're like, wait, what is it? What is happening here? And it, I <laughs> just slightly, but I think this is a great example of kind of like the very, uh, commercial side of Spike Lee where he takes like a very like just a very commercially accessible movie like this is a bank heist movie and it's 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 Denzel doing his thing and just great stuff but he also kind of brings in his own commentary towards the end and that's kind of where I don't want to spoil the movie for people who haven't seen it but there is a he does have a lot to say about just money in general and corruption and I think those are kind of the things I appreciate where he just turns something that could be sort of like a mindless thriller into something a little more. Um, so yeah, just full of great performances. Denzel, just as always, just always watchable. It's just, yeah, just inside man. Great. <laughs> My too late review of that movie. It's just, everyone <laughs> just should watch it if they haven't already. Yeah. He's uh, I mean, Denzel's he's, uh, he's always, always very, very watchable. One of the best of the best. Um, me, for me, one movie I watched, uh, actually, yesterday um, is a movie called Fear by the great director James Foley. <laughs> um, oh, no. James Foley, obviously the director of the two Fifty Shades of Grey sequels. And you know what? Watching Fear last night, which I'll, I'll get into what it's about, but I can see his inspirations. Um, this is a movie that it, it stars Mark Wahlberg and Reese Witherspoon. Uh, it came out in the late 90s. Um, very, very interesting, uh, weird uh, film. It has a cult following now, apparently. Um, I've, I've kind of read into that a little. But it's, it's pretty much just about a, a guy who kind of falls for this, this younger high school girl uh, in Reese Witherspoon. And he, he's kind of just this toxic, um, hyper-sexualized, kind of like dangerous figure. And the movie is, is like, you don't really understand why he's doing what he's doing. And, and I think that's, I mean... It, I'm not saying it's a good movie, but it was definitely entertaining in that respect. <laughs> um, but it's funny to see Mark Wahlberg just kind of uh, snap and become kind of this uh, this like uh, menace, this hypersexualized menace, going after Reese Witherspoon and her family. <laughs> but I, I just thought I'd point that out because I think it's neat to see James Foley uh, early in his career, kind of um, planting the seeds for what was to come with the Fifty Shades films. <laughs> what a strange career for that guy because he made Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross a couple years before Fear. Then after that, he's just kind of been I mean, he's done a lot of good stuff. Like, he directed a lot of House of Cards episodes, Billions, and then obviously the Fifty Shades uh, movies. But 
just very, very strange. You wouldn't have expected. I imagine like I was negative three when Glengarry Glen Ross came out, <laughs> but like you would expect like after that movie, like oh my gosh, what is this guy gonna do next? Mm-hmm. He so he did so many great performances based off this really great play. Like what is he gonna do? He ends up doing Fifty Shades. It's just it's very, very, very strange career if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just thought I'd, because uh, that's that's probably one of the more interesting movies I've watched in the last week. Just, just kind of the uh, the storylines with him and his career. So I thought I'd point that out. But what about you? What's something else you've uh, you you've watched in the past few days? Uh, well, unfortunately, I watched The Last Days of American Crime finally after it being in the Netflix top ten for like ten years. Um, yeah, this movie's terrible. <laughs> we talked about it being the longest movie ever to or one of the longest movies in terms of running time to have a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, And you can see why this movie is just an, it's first of all, it's just an eyesore to look at. It's just uh, very terribly directed, directed by Olivier Megaton, um, who did the uh, Taken sequels. And there's that famous, there's that famous YouTube clip. Uh, I think it's in Taken 3 with Liam Neeson jumping over a fence. And it's like, it's like, it's like 13 different cuts. And it's like all in like two seconds. And you're like, what are you thinking? And like, there's so much of that in this movie where it's like just very strange directing choices that just make this movie look terrible. Um, But I I don't like jumping on like people who like wrote screenplays and everything. But this really feels like it was like written by like a 10 year old who watched the the Boondock Saints (laughs) like once. And he was like, oh, this is so badass. I'm going to put all this cool stuff. People are going to say fuck every other, every other word. It's, it's just so nauseating. And then like Edgar Ramirez, who I kind of like and stuff, but I feel like he's tragically been in some high profile, bad movies like this and the point break uh, remake. Um, (laughs) He's just kind of there just like looking tough. Like, and he like, burns a guy alive in the first scene you're like oh i'm supposed to root for this guy cool (laughs) uh (laughs) like uh yeah this movie it it, i luckily i was smart enough to break it up in two nights so i watched the first half one night and the second half the the next night because i just couldn't deal with two and a half hours of this mess just all in one sitting um that was probably the best thing to come out of this (laughs) because <laughs> I can't really recommend anything that happens in this movie. Like none of the, none of the action is particularly fun. Like the, the idea of the plot itself is just idiotic where you have like this signal that turns off people's brains to do crime. It's just like, like, what is this? <laughs> like you could probably do something fun with that, but this movie has just does nothing with it. Like, it's just like, Oh yeah. Like there, here's this, like, here's this signal. Cool. All right. Plot ready. Go. And like Charlton Copley from, uh, just like he's just one of the better uh, character actors, if you ask me, is in this movie, and he just like he his introduction is shooting someone in the face, <laughs> and you're like, oh, like so there's just no one in here that we're supposed to like. Um, so yeah, it's that's just basically that for two and a half hours. So I'm thinking of potentially just to do it, just to watch it, split it over two nights, as you said. It's that's honestly the way to do it because if I mean maybe. You'd, like you're like me and you're an insane person. You have to watch everything. Then like, yes, like that's the way, <laughs> that's the way to do it. Cause sitting, make, like giving this thing two and a half hours of your time is just like the worst. <laughs> it's just so, so bad. It just numbed my brain in the worst way. <laughs> I hated it so much. So, I mean, at the same time that Netflix is, is giving us a two and a half hour Spike Lee movie, they give us a two and a half hour 
um, the last days of American crime. <laughs> yeah, whatever the hell this is, <laughs> it's just it's just so so bad. I can't I can't recommend anything about it. You don't really come across a lot of movies like that. It's it's just morally bankrupt. And there's just no really good performances in it. The action isn't very good. It they're, they're just like like it's one of those movies where I've seen less competently made movies probably, but. It's it's just such like a suck of like everything where it's like I can't really like say anything anything was good in here at all. It's just it's just so so bad. Well, um, let's let's end it on a good note. What's what's something? Good <laughs> Please, what, what's something good you watched in the last few days? Um, I think on the I I, I went back and revisited if Beale Street could talk because it was one of my favorite movies of 2018. Um, I hadn't seen it in a while. And I showed it to my girlfriend for the first time, and it's just. It's just lovely. I, I mean, it's kind of weird that a movie about just systemic racism and especially with cops, it's like one of the more like vital movies that you could watch right now. Like, you, it's kind of weird that, that movie would be lovely to watch. But uh, Barry Jenkins is just such a great humanist director where he a lot of this movie focuses on the faces of everyone involved. It it the camera just lingers on all these people and like a lot of people just stare right into the camera and you get a look, really good look at their face, their faces and all the anguish, just kind of everything that makes them them. And I think it's just so great. And the, the Nicholas Bertel score, which I know people probably have heard just in general, because I know this people, this movie wasn't entirely successful at the box office. It actually bombed pretty good, but everyone knows the score you've heard it. So one way or another, uh, it just, it kind of just wraps you in a warm blanket and, even though this movie is about kind of just a really troubling, it's really troubling subject matter. Um, so I guess for people who haven't seen it, it's about these, these two people uh, played by Kiki Lane and Stefan James where uh, they're, they're in love. They have a baby and he's thrown in jail for a crime he didn't commit. And it's all about getting him out of jail and also working on how to bring this baby into the real world. Um, so, it's really tro- troubling in that sense, and it's dealing with a lot of weighty stuff, and it's based off a of James Baldwin novel, so there's a lot there's a lot in there. Um, but it's also it never loses track of like the love and like the like the hope that people can bring out of these kind of situations. Uh, it's yeah, if you haven't seen it, I, I mean, I I this play, this movie holds a special place in my heart because I interviewed Barry Jenkins and the rest of the cast with it back in 2018 at its premiere in DC, but. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's just so wonderful, and it's on Hulu right now. And I, yeah, it's one of the better movies of 2018, and so super vital for the time we live in right now. It's it's a little better than the Last Days of American Crime. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I can finish up with. <laughs> um, no, I, I love that movie. I love Beale Street. Um, I think Moonlight is is an incredibly satisfying movie, and I love the vision of the film, and I love how it's split up into the three, uh, three acts uh, the way it is. I think it's very satisfying, but, um, Beale street is, is to me a great, beautiful film, obviously. And it, it, I think it's my favorite of, uh, those two more recent Barry Jenkins movies. Um, but it's, it's, it's wonderful. And you're right. That score is something else. Definitely one of my favorite scores of the year, uh, in, in 2018, but this entire movie is just special. Like there's, there's something about it. Um, the way, as you said, he shoots people, uh, uh, and the way people are seen through his, his eyes. I mean, it's a fantastic, fantastic movie. I'll never forget uh, seeing it in theaters. It was the first time I went to a, uh, there's this very nice, uh, it's now a historical landmark in, in Ottawa, Canada, in, in our capital, um, 
very nice old theater that opened up in the 1940s. And I, I was, int- I was always interested in it since I was going to school there. And I, uh, decided, you know, let's try it out. And I went to see Beale street. Uh, that, that's a wonderful experience. I go there all the time now. Uh, but yeah, that, this is a movie I'll never forget for sure. Yeah. There's just a few knockout scenes in this movie. Like one of my favorite ones, it's kind of one of the more inconsequential parts of the movie where it's after we see sudden uh, Dave Franco as the, <laughs> as the apartment leaser, like the, the two of them, Kiki Lane and Stefan James are just walking through the streets together mm-hmm. and the score is playing and they're just so happy and they just start yelling. They're so excited. It's just so beautiful. It just, it, it sends shivers down my spine every time I watch it. And then there's the, just that like 12 minute stretch where Brian Tyree Henry just takes over the movie. He just enters it and leaves it. And you're like, Oh my gosh, like, can we, can we talk about this? <laughs> like you never see him again in the movie and he just takes it over and like, it just hijacks it, but it makes it so good. And he's like, he's just so troubled. Like he, he's like talking to Stefan James and he just kind of trails off. Cause he's just thinking about just being in prison, just kind of what that did to him. It's, it's just, inc- it's just so incredible. And, this movie is like weirdly sprawling. Like they go to go to Puerto Rico at one point and you're like, wait, mm-hmm. what is what's happening? But it's just, there's this, I think it's, I go back and forth too about which movie I like bef- more between Moonlight and, uh, and Beale Street. Um, but yeah, any, depending on the day I pick one of them, but th- yeah, it's just, Beale Street is so good. And I know a lot of people are, are going back and watching it, um, giving all the protests that are happening uh, start around the world at this point. But uh, if you haven't seen it already, I would definitely look back and check it out. Very, very, very good movie. Um, and also just want to, I didn't say a theater name, but shout out Bytown Cinema. Great, great cinema. Um, great stuff. Love them. <laughs> but uh, with that, I think we're we're pretty good for the week. We'll be back next week talking more movie news, obviously. Um, some more stuff. We'll see uh, Collins input onto Five Bloods. Hopefully we'll see... Uh, how AMC's plans progress, maybe some tenant updates, who knows? Uh, we'll see what happens, though, but we'll be back next week. You can always check out our content on our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and you can uh, find out more of our stuff at moviebabble.com. Bye.